Blog Talk Radio. Everybody and welcome to uh, another episode of Trendlebed Tales. This time it's going to be a Travel Times episode, and we are going to be talking to cookbook collector Susie Utop. Now, Trendlebed Tales is the podcast about Laura Ingalls Wilder, historic foodways, one-room schools, and other social media. This is Sarah Utop, the host and creator of Trendlebed Tales. Find us around the web under Trendlebed Tales and on your favorite social media platform. If you listen or just have an account on iTunes, please leave positive feedback because that helps people find the show. And before we get going here, let's just have a little bit of housekeeping. Now, uh, if you have been listening around to the other episodes, I've been doing a series of fairly short episodes, around 10 minutes, that are readings of a book by Thornton Burgess. Part of that is to do some reading for all the book months and read aloud days and everything that goes on in this couple of months here. And part of it is that I have been experimenting with the microphone because As ongoing listeners are well aware, we've had quite a few technical issues this last year. Now, I think I finally, knock on wood, have that worked out. So we've got one more to test, but I think this one's going to be the the winner. So if you can't hear me, please let me know. Other than that, I want to um, remind people that if you want to be a part of the show, you can call in at 714-242-5253, 714-242-5253, or toll-free, 1-877-633-9389. That's 1-877-633-9389. And uh, in terms of upcoming programs, I hate to say this because I seem to jinx myself when I do, but uh, we should still be having a looking ahead in uh, the Laura in 2019 and it's coming right along, but I'm got hung up checking a few last things. So hopefully that one will come. We're still looking for a Disney episode and we just are going to find hopefully some really cool things this a year where we're actually having episodes instead of last year when we had so few. So thank you for sticking around, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Travel Times. And with that, we are bringing back on our uh, guest for this evening, uh, Susie Utoff. Hi, Susie. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. How are you? Oh, 
Well, probably as well as I can be, considering I saw you a couple minutes ago. Susie Utap is my mom, and we're actually doing a further equipment test, so she's just calling in from downstairs to see how it works. But I think it's going to work great. So you got a good feeling? I sure do. Good. So you, besides uh, being my mom, are uh, were a former home economist with Iowa Stension, and you have been collecting cookbooks for more than 50 years. How did you get interested in collecting cookbooks? Well, I think it has to do with when I decided what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, i.e. study home economics. And as I started to prepare for that career, I knew food and nutrition was an important part of that area of study. So I started to collect books. Somehow books are always important in all our lives in this family, and I thought I needed all these reference books that I might use sometime. Now, before we get going any further than that, I just realized that there may be people out there who don't know what home home economics is, so uh, can you explain that just quick? Well, it's a, the study of helping families in a, as few words as I can think of. It's just it's studying food nutrition, home furnishings, consumer management, human development, uh, parenting, just so many aspects of the daily things that you go through in your life. And it really is an important field of study and is definitely one of the helping sciences and it does not get it to do anymore. But we will move on from that. What was the first cookbook that you remember seeing? Seeing or getting? Well, the next one is the which one you own. So if you saw one before that. Well, (laughs) uh, when my folks bought their farm, there was a tree out in front that had to be sawed down and then left a stump and somehow I was a little kid maybe five or six and I took my mother's cookbook it was a big thick one and um, took it out and I was playing with it and I left it out overnight and it rained on and ruined the book oh no That's that's the first one I remember seeing and then mother always had the red and white Betty Crocker cookbook so what was the first one that you remember owning? Well, I I think it was, again, Betty Crocker was the stable in our house. Whatever Betty Crocker said went more than Fanny Farmer or anybody else. It was Betty Crocker. And uh, they had a series, and one in the series was Cookbook for Kids. And as I was uh, searching for um, other information today, I came across that that book was published in 1957 and was very popular, according to the Internet, in 1958. But I think that must be the first one I acquired. So what type of cookbook did you start collecting? Well, that was a kid's cookbook. And then I went 
collected the rest of the ones that were in that series, thinking I might need them sometime in my life. And you also did a lot with uh, community cookbooks. Well, first, why don't you uh, explain what a community cookbook is? Well, a community cookbook is when a, a group in an area, a lot of times it's a club or a church, get together and combine their recipes and then sell the book, their recipes in a book as a cookbook. As a fundraiser. Yes. And um, in my work, I purchased a lot of those to help clubs. And then I, a lot of people have souvenirs that they collect when they travel. Well, when I traveled, I got a cookbook from that place. And sometimes it was a community cookbook. Sometimes it was a a, a cook a commercially prepared cookbook that uh, featured the cuisine of that area. So uh, that was kind of your first focus of collecting. And I can attest that she still loves to get cookbooks when we go on a trip. And also, you have to be careful not to give her her cookbook presents first Christmas morning, or you won't hear a word out of her the rest of the time, except, let me alone, I'm looking at my cookbook. (laughs) That's true. So, uh, your focus of collecting has kind of changed a little bit over the years, though. Uh, What more are you looking for now, not just trying to get every cookbook that there is? Well, I've become a little more discerning in what I pick. And a lot of the ones I have gotten lately are how-tos or the science of cooking and more of explaining why and how to do things versus just the basic recipe. Because some of those basic recipes are fake recipes. (laughs) And you don't know it until you make it. Uh, explain what you mean by that. Though that isn't a cookbook one. That was actually a family recipe. <laughs> no, in some of the cookbooks, I over the years, I have made recipes, and they didn't turn out, following the recipe step-by-step, ingredient-by-ingredient. And I don't know if the person put the recipe in and had a mistake in it. And sometimes there are mistakes in the cookbooks as to the amount of quantity or the item. And, or if they just decided they would invent a recipe and put it in the cookbook because they were desperate to have their name in the book. Who knows? Um, but it's and, Yeah, so she always talks about her bogus recipes because um, especially my great-grandmother would give recipes, but she'd say, well, this is how the recipe originally was. Why would you want it how I made it? I'll never forget that. That cheesecake recipe. She made the best cheesecake. I wanted the recipe. And thank goodness I got the recipe from her before she passed away. And I made it. I went to make it and it talked about pineapple. Hers didn't have any pineapple in it. I called her up and I said, what's the deal with the pineapple? And that's exactly what she said, Sarah, was I just gave you the original recipe. Didn't give you how I made it. I was kind of ticked off. She did get the right recipe, though, so we have a happy ending. Well, while we're talking about that, something else um, 
especially, well, I guess it's true of all cookbooks that aren't um, made today. If you have a cookbook that is, you know, from a decade or two ago, uh, there's often problems with the recipe over sizes, and people have to watch out for that. What kind of things do you see with that? Well, not only sizes, but even uh, items. Uh, if, what is it? Is it uh, there's a recipe that used to be on uh, the radio calling recipe show, and I think it was butter pecan instant pudding, it was some kind of instant pudding, and they don't make it anymore. So what do you yeah, use? Yeah, it was sub- butter pecan. That was my favorite. And uh, then the people won't put in sizes. They'll put in can. Well, what kind of a can? 12-ounce can? 16-ounce can? And the can people aren't helping a great deal because they are cutting back on the amount in the can, keeping the can kind of the same size, and you think you're getting what you used to get, but it's not quite as much. And most of the time it doesn't make a difference in the recipe, but sometimes it can cause failure. Well, it it can be a real problem. So if anybody's writing an epi- uh, a recipe and it takes a can or a bottle or a box or whatever, be sure to write down the number of ounces because otherwise you can get in trouble later on and it won't turn out right. Well, the next person won't know how to make it. Um, Which and is, I want to go. I want to go back to my grandmother uh, and her cheesecake recipe. I judge county fairs periodically with the 4-H program, food and nutrition. And Which means every I will, year. <laughs> and I will say to many of the kids, they come in with everything done in computer, and I tell them before. If it was their grandmother's recipe, I tell ask her to handwrite that recipe for you because we're losing all this, the handwritten word of people. And it, they kids might not think it's important now, but in 50, 60 years, they'll say, gosh, I wish I had a sample of my grandmother's or my mother's writing. There really, is little- something about, there really is something about a handwritten recipe, and that's one of my... Um, in the kitchen with Laura posts is encouraging people to do that. And if you have handwriting, it just is so much more immediate when it comes to a recipe and a recipe is such a personal thing. Anyway, you really do want it in handwriting if possible. That's true. And when you and Robbie were in 4-H, we were able to get a lot of the ancestors recipes in their own handwriting and at that time, years ago, decoupage was in style. So you kids were able to decoupage a lot of those recipes. And in our kitchen, we have a lovely arrangement of decoupaged recipes. Yes, it is lovely. So I'm hearing walking around down there. Are you still hearing me? Yeah, I'm okay. fine. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, one of the things that you've added to your collection is to do more in the way of historic cookbooks than you started out with. And there was a, particularly a golden cookbook that you were trying to find another one years ago. How has it changed to get older cookbooks 
uh, over the years, from how you had to get that one to how you get one today. And this is a real fair comparison because she just had to get another copy of that same cookbook to give somebody as a present. <laughs> so how is it different? Well, that was, again, another uh, pamphlet-type cookbook that my mother had from Betty Crocker. And she used it so much it just started to fall apart, and she was kind of distraught about it. I thought, oh, well, I'll get her a replacement. And I looked in antique stores and antique stores and antique stores every time I went someplace to try and find her another copy of that. Finally, I was successful. But when last year, when I had to find another copy for someone else, they have a, a magical place now that you can go called eBay. And I was able to find it. I bet it didn't take me 10 minutes, did it, Sarah, to sit down and look for that book? No, I don't think so. So, it, using the... remember the, the name com- of it since you talked about it? It was sent golden something. I don't know, honey. I'd have to go out to my building and look. Okay, well, well we can put that in the show notes. Okay, so what are the characteristics that you look for, whether it's a professional one or a group, a community cookbook, because not all cookbooks are high quality. So what should they have? Well, and it it depends somewhat on preference. A lot of the community cookbooks are spiral uh, on the end, and there are cheap plastic ones that break and crick and uh, crack easily, some of the plastic can be higher quality, and it's, it will last longer. Some of them are metal, and those are nice because you can lay them flat without, I mean, the spiral ones are nice because you can lay them flat without breaking the spine of the book. But in a nice how-to-do-it book, I would prefer a spine that's uh, a hardcover, and a hardcover on the community books, too. It just gives them... Uh, they they last better if they have a hard cover, and the paper, and the t- you look at the paper and you look at the typing. Can you read the typing? Has it been? I don't know if they mimeograph them anymore. But sometimes even with the the machines that we have today, you don't get good copies. Is the ink starting to run out? So you need to kind of flip through and see if there all the pages are there printing on each page and if uh, the what I really like are the ones that they've run a nutritional analysis on so you know now this recipe is supposed to be low in sodium or high in sodium low in cholesterol or high in cholesterol and that's kind of a help as people are really watching the what they're eating these days and, and it can really uh, surprise you that one we wrote uh, we ran and and our friend Pat just would not believe it had that much sodium in it because you weren't adding salt. And it's like, no, there's salt in all the stuff already. That's true. So it uh, can be an eye-opener on, on what's actually in the, the recipe. And if you want to make that kind of a recipe, that's fine. We just You just want to be aware of what's in the recipe. And it's kind of nice to have pictures. It's nice to have... Uh, especially on the how-to-do ones. And it's nice to have an explanation um, if an ingredient is kind of 
one that's not used a lot by the community or by me. If, you know, explain what that ingredient is. And today we were ta- I was looking for a, a search topic, and I uh, we had to ask what one ingredient was that you know is an older recipe, and we didn't really know what it was till we looked it up. Well, and sometimes people call things non-standard names, too, so that's something to watch for. Yeah. And I would also say, um, besides the the nutrition analysis, just making sure that they've pulled out all the ingredients, because sometimes people like to hide things into in the body of the text, um, and... You want to make sure, you know, read over a couple of the recipes before you buy it. Make sure they actually are making sense. And there are a lot of mistakes in community cookbooks. And I think that's partly the editing because some have awesome editors that don't have a lot of mistakes. But when you deal with a a community cookbook publisher, and there are people who, companies who specialize in that, they basically talk about when you have to send in corrections and they're used to getting like, you know, a whole bunch, like maybe even like 10 pages of corrections after they sell the first batch of cookbooks. So it, it really is something to watch for. That's very true, honey. So, uh, have you ever written or developed your own cookbook? No, but uh, as you well know, you and I edited two cookbooks. and Which that are was awesome ones with no corrections. Well, no, I think a couple things got by us, but um, it, it's a, to do it and to do it well is a, horrendous project and the the one that we did uh, was uh the people had turned in the recipes a couple years beforehand and then nobody did it and then i was uh asked to do it and then you had to try to call the people and ask them what the uh your question about the recipe and they didn't remember and oh it was a horrendous job horrendous they didn't know the size of the pan, and oh gosh. Oh, yeah, that's deal. something else to look for size of pan, because that can make a big difference, too. Yeah, but it, it, and, we came up with nice products, but it was hard. It really was a lot of work. Uh, I would also say um, when it, it comes to that, you. For if you're going to contribute a recipe someplace, uh, it might be, well, first write it out. If you are taking it something that was originally published in another cookbook, do not just turn in a photocopy with your name written in. That is not how copyright works. Uh, you have to make four substantial changes in the writing of the recipe and the list of ingredients cannot be copyrighted. So you have the ingredients and then make sure you have nice, clear explanations so you are not violating copyright when you submit a recipe um, anywhere, whether you're doing it in a cookbook, online, for publication. 
we have seen quite a few of the recipes mom developed for the extension service show up with other people's names on in various publications. Uh, so don't do that. It's not nice. People don't like it. Uh, I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And um, besides those cookbooks that were available for sale, you also have a project that you do uh, with the um, with every year for cooking. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about that? Well, it started when um, my mother wasn't as social as she used to be, and we wanted to get people in to see her. So Sarah and I started to have theme meals, and we'd pick a theme, and then um, it was sort of potluck. We had most of the food, but then people brought one dish that fit the theme, and we'd always take pictures of it, and uh, if the recipe was somebody's special recipe that they made or a different one, they'd give me the recipe, and then I compiled a, a book every two years of the theme meals, and we'd put take pictures of the food, we'd take pictures of the people, and um, and we really enjoyed picking up the themes and researching the information we needed. What we're working on now, our next one is, uh, since uh, IPTV is 50 years old and a lot of things are 50 years this year, we decided that our next one will be food you would eat in 1969. So we're working on that. Yeah, she's been working on it all day. That's been, she was just very pleased with that as a project. So, well, not all day. I'm working no. on my spooky meal or my April Fool meal for tomorrow night. Yeah, uh, and um, yeah, we we really get into our parties for that stuff. But it is nice to put together uh, a cookbook. Uh, she's also done a couple for um, my niece and nephew that you know things they have cooked over the years, and it's nice to keep a record of that and a nicely printed out hard copy because keeping digital copies current is a hard task. Keeping a paper copy current is a lot easier and a little, and it's good to have in multiple places anyway. Well, and hopefully with the, the kids, they'll have memories of looking at those books in years to come of things we did together. Or not. <laughs> I I think they will. Now, how many cookbooks do you have in your collection? A few. A uh, several. Do you have? Uh, a shelf, a uh, library shelf thing, uh, one, two, three, what, four sections in your building? Yes. It was it was over a thousand the last time you did the count, wasn't it? Oh, it's it's almost two thousand. So, yeah. So she's got a few cookbooks. So uh, they had been all over the house, but when I got my Laura Ingalls Wilder building research building, she got a section of that for her cookbooks, so she had to organize them. And we looked at the different ways to do it. You know, being a librarian, I like Dewey, but really when it's this many this many books of so similar topics 
it really doesn't help that much. It wouldn't really be differentiating until you got several numbers past the decimal, and that's just a pain. So we didn't want to do that. We looked at the bookstore, and you'll see some libraries now, and they make a big fuss about how they're decimating Dewey and aren't using it anymore. And what they're replacing it with is what they're calling the bookstore system, which really... I have issues with it in general, but for this especially, it was a poor choice. And we went and looked how a couple of libraries who had that system were using it and looked in real bookstores, and yeah, it, it wasn't going to be a go. We looked at the Library of Congress system, and again, just not really designed for this specific of a collection of a whole body of things. We um, talked to... Uh, the Henry Ford Museum that has a fairly substantial collection of cookbooks and at the University of Michigan, which also has a whole kind of special archives on food history and at the University Library here that also has a substantial cook collection of cookbooks. And they just really didn't fit with how our collection, well, it's mom's collection really, though I or one for present so often it's about half mine, I think. But she, um, uh, her collection really has been sort of specific ways. And so this is how we have it broken down. And uh, one, the first section is, and, and this isn't necessarily the order they'd be in. This is just the order that the different sections ended up on the shelf, and we may rearrange them. So the first one is the kids' cookbooks. So want to have a word about those? No. Go ahead and run through them all. All right. So we've got kids' cookbooks, etiquette books, which we kind of consider, you know, part of the dining experience, uh, historic cookbooks which uh, have things, you know, like there are reprinted copies or original copies from, you know, long time ago. Historic reference, which are sort of those how-to manuals, history of food, food chronologies, that kind of thing. The encyclopedias, that there are several sets of uh, food encyclopedias that came out over the years. How-to books, and that's going to be uh, like where the science of cooking books are, where there's like gluten-free, you know, anything that's sort of specialized on how to do something. Um, food preservation, which is, you know, canning, drying, that sort of thing. TV shows and brands, so that's where things, you know, like Dole Foods cookbooks or um Pioneer Woman or any of those, or Julia Child are going to end up there. Community and church cookbooks, we already talked about what those are. She has a section on microwave cookbooks. You don't really see it anymore. People kind of have given up on microwaves for a lot of, you know, actual cooking and use a lot of them for just warm, uh, warming up or kind of really simple things. But when they first came out, they're they were quite ambitious. And if you look at some of the early microwave cookbooks, you would be amazed. And then she has a section of frequently used ones, which uh, is going to have like the Betty Crocker picture cookbook 
and uh, things like that. So how are you finding that system working for you? That's pretty good. And then there's I I think you missed one. Uh, there I have a section on herbs, but I, I like it because I can go out and I know in what area I'm looking for a book. I don't have to go up and down the aisle looking wildly around. And I will get, uh, when I get the show notes for this one done, I will uh, not only get the name of the book she was looking for for everybody, but I will also have this list of sections on how we have it developed. So, uh, again, this is something that it kind of depends on the focus of your collection, the scope of the collection, to use a library or a museum term, but uh, focusing on the things we like, this is a, I think, a pretty uh, solid uh, framework to be able to narrow down and find the cookbooks that we're looking for. Yeah, it works for us. Thanks to you. <laughs> um, and I was. We actually went a little over the half hour, but I don't know that we want to. We had um, uh, some questions worked out about famous uh, famous cookbooks that came along and the stories behind them a little bit, but I'm beginning to think that this went so well that maybe we'll have to have you back for another episode. You think so, huh? I really do. And I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Okay, honey. Thank you. Okay. And I'm putting you back in the green room. And for everybody else, thank you for listening to this issue or episode of Travel Times here or with Trundle Bed Tales. And I hope that you will stick around. Uh, the Trundle Bed Tales main episodes tend to be uh, episodes where either I'm talking by myself or I'm interviewing something about social history, Little House, um, Lauren Goes Wild, or social history, I might have said that already, one-room schools, food history, that kind of thing. The Travel Times episodes are episodes where we interview either uh, someone who spends a lot of time at a particular place. I try not to have uh, the people who run it because I think it's a lot more interesting to talk to somebody who goes there all the time. But we do those, and we also talk about hobbies. So I hope you will, if this is the first one of these you've run across, that you will look back for other Travel Times episodes. And that until then, I will see you next time and right in the corner where you are. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.